Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 52, How Andrew Peterson Writes. So there were about 1,500 writers who participated in our Plot Your Novel in Just Five Days Challenge, and it was epic. If you missed the challenge and you want to jump in, you can now take the challenge right inside of Happy Writer. And, good news, we're offering seven days of access to Happy Writer for just $1. So you can jump in with Tiffany Yates-Martin and I as we walk you through step-by-step, exactly what you need to plot your novel. To jump into your $1 trial, visit howwriterswrite.com slash plot challenge. That's one word, P-L-O-T-C-H-A-L-L-E-N-G-E, to register. So episode 52 is a special one. This conversation with Andrew stuck with me for a long time, many weeks. Andrew is someone who cares deeply about the creative process and is just so humble and filled with so much wisdom. This interview explores the relationship between songwriting, novel writing, faith and creativity, and so much more. I want to thank Andrew again for his time. I loved this interview. And now, my friends, without any further ado, here is the interview with Andrew Peterson. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today's special guest is Andrew Peterson. Andrew is a singer, songwriter, performer, and writer. Andrew has written a four-part fantasy series for young readers called The Wing Feather Saga, and they are being re-released through Random House starting in 2020 as collectible hardcovers with all new illustrations. The third and fourth, so I think we're done now, were released in hardcover in early October 2020, so you can pick those up now. The covers are absolutely stunning. Just beautiful, beautiful design. Andrew also wrote Adorning the Dark, Thoughts on Community, Calling, and the Mystery of Making. And that was released in October of 2019. I listened as prep for this podcast to Adorning the Dark on Audible, which is narrated by Andrew. So it's extra fun. I feel like I already got, I already kind of know you. And it is an absolutely beautiful book on creation and writing. It's really raw and um it's just it's just a really great listen. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, I saw in your bio, it says you have performed thousands of concerts and you have many, many albums produced. You are a musician as well as being a novelist, which is which is incredible. And the one question that popped out in my head, I thought, can you listen to music and write at the same time? <laughs> uh, I can I can only listen to music that has no words and okay. write at the same time. So, so what's your go-to as like a musician? Like, what is it that you are like? This is what I listen to when I'm when I'm writing. Yeah, uh, I actually that's a good question. I have um, when I was working on the Wing Feather Saga, I broke up um, a bunch of film soundtracks into moods. So I have a playlist for warm and fuzzy, a playlist for action, a playlist for epic you know, whatever. And then one that has everything. And so if I knew that I was writing a scene that I I wanted to be kind of like tender, then I would go to that play. So it's like everything from, 
a lot of Thomas Newman. I love Thomas Newman who, who composed like, um, Oh man, I I'm blanking completely, uh, like Wally and, and okay, uh, a okay. bunch of Pixar stuff. He's, uh, Lemony Snicket. He did the Lemony Snicket soundtrack for the yeah. film. Yeah. Um, Michael Giacchino who did super eight and, uh, the John Carter soundtrack. So uh, like, um, I love movies. And so, so there was something really fun to me about like, uh, listening to a playlist that would just like in a second trigger exactly the mood that I needed to be in to write whatever scene I was writing. Uh, that I love, I love this topic because I feel like, um, it's kind of under talked about in the creative life and the, in the writing life, which is using music or locations or drinks, you know, like some people like tea or whatever to put yourself in a mood to create. Yeah. Um, and so, so like, how did you form that association where you, was it, was it just the music itself did the work or did you like kind of be like, okay, this is the music that, um, I want to use to write an action scene. And then you kind of built that in your brain that way. Yeah. I mean, kind of both. I think when you're working on a book, there's a whole lot of, uh, you're alone the entire time for hour upon hour. And so I think the first couple of books I was working in coffee houses mostly. So, I would pop in a pair of headphones and, and just kind of get lost in it. So I needed to listen to something. Yeah. And, and I realized pretty quickly that there was something about the rhythm of, uh, you know, I think you've probably talked to a lot of authors who have their ritual that, mm-hmm. that they use to begin the writing process. And for me, it was, um, it was um, turning on the music and the music would almost immediately. And I also have an, uh, an all playlist, you know, so like all of the movie soundtracks that I love, I, I would just shuffle them all. And it would just uh, kind of do the work of of helping my mind sink into story mode because that, that's the thing about film soundtracks as opposed to um, you know just ambient music that can play mm-hmm. in the background or or even classical music whatever it may be like the, I, I immediately associate the sound of a cinema soundtrack film soundtrack with story yeah. so it kicks my brain into story mode almost immediately. Oh, that's such a good point. I've never thought about that because I. Um... I, I listen to music too. I'm a big music listener when I'm composing and um, can't do words, kind of the same thing, but I've never made the association that it's almost like we've been conditioned through watching movies so much to associate a certain kind of um, film uh, soundtrack or score to um, story in, yeah. in a way that like classical, maybe, maybe that hasn't happened. Right. Which, you know, classical music oh, interesting. Uh, in, in a sense, all music is, storytelling you know there, right. there's good music anyway like there's a there's a story arc that happens there's tension and release and you know changes in mode and key changes mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff so there is a there there are I, I think of it like the golden ratio you know how you know the golden ratio how it yeah, shows up yeah. in nature all over yeah. the place that I think story is kind of the same way that the same many of the same principles apply whether you're talking about painting or songwriting or storytelling or poetry mm-hmm. but like there's a there's not a direct, uh, like there are massive differences between the two, but, but there, there's a sense of a beginning, a middle and an end that happen in all of those, you know? And, and so, uh, so yeah, even classical music does it. If you're a student of classical music, I think you could probably, um, sniff out the story elements that are in there better than I could. Yeah. But with, with movies, it's just like a, an immediate. Yeah. 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 It's almost, yeah. You're, you're making this, this is why I just love my job so much because you're making a point I, I would have never connected in my own brain, you know, that this idea that like because we've been had both like a visual and like audio exposure to the movie, 
that it's formed a connection in our brain that like this audio means storytelling in a way that for me, I love classical. I'm not schooled in it, but I love to listen to it, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have that same kind of, um, that same translation because I don't, I I haven't, I don't know it probably enough to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, um, being a music person, um, I've interviewed a lot of like screenwriters and poets who are also novelists. Um, I think you're the first person I've interviewed who, um, has such an incredible musical background and such a, a, you know, decades and decades of, of making music. How, if at all, do you find that your creative mind is different when you're making music as compared to when you're writing a novel? Yeah. Uh, the thing about music is I, I've, the way I usually put it is that, um, music is like training for track and, uh, novel writing is training for a, for cross country. <laughs> There's just like a, a long game that yeah, you're, you're yeah. dealing with, with a book, like, like you, with a, when you're writing a book, you have, you know, it takes a year more than a year to, to write a first draft, at least for me. And you, you can give a, a significant portion of your, your time on earth to the story that might be terrible. <laughs> you know, like there's this huge it probably gamble. will be the, the, the first yeah. draft probably is going to be <laughs> absolutely the first draft is absolutely going to be terrible. But you just the 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 amount of risk and yeah. f- kind of faith leap of faith that it takes to to say, I'm going to dedicate a massive amount of my time to something that is possibly going to be uh, it's not going to be wasted because you're you're growing and you're, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, but you don't know. So so with a song, when I'm writing a song, um, some t- most of the time songs take days or weeks to write sometimes years uh every now and then though you you get one in a day or two or you like you stay up till four in the morning and the next morning you can wake up and go okay here let me see if the song is still good today because i thought it was great at 4 a.m you know and a lot of times it's <laughs> it's terrible the next morning but yeah. but you almost immediately like if i have a show that night i can try the song out on people you know wow. i can i can have that deep satisfaction of sharing your work with people with books you don't get to share it with anybody right. really right. for a right. long time right. <laughs> so you just don't know so you're deferring the satisfaction because for me the 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 thing that i love about book writing or songwriting or whatever it may be is the is the moment of sharing it right it's like like the actual some people love the grind of Mm -hmm. just doing the work and i i can't wait to be finished with the thing like i because the thing that's driving me is is that miracle that can happen whenever someone else connects with the work that you've made Mm -hmm. and you get that thrill of ah i'm not alone and they're not alone and Mm -hmm. we we have this this work of art that that binds us right now and so that's the thing that i love the most i can't wait for that moment so with songs you get a more instant gratification whereas with books you have to just like go putting it off you know i've got to i've got to work a really long time before. And then even once the book comes out, it takes your friends weeks to read the book. Yeah. Right. And many times your friends don't even bother to read yeah, it right, at all. <laughs> right. Right. So, right. Yeah. Right. That's the, so talk to me then about the discipline that you had to learn, right. Coming from being somebody who would have some level, I don't want to say immediate, but in the books, but in the book sense, in the, in the scale of years, potentially it's yeah. fairly immediate, you know, compared to how long it, you can take to get feedback what was that transition like, right? You're going from somebody who can write a song, stand up in front of 
and you're playing big shows, like you know what I mean, like some of like, them, some you know, of them, yes. like like we're not we're not talking like you know coffee shop stuff here. Like you're playing these big shows, and you're getting immediate feedback to being like, okay, I'm gonna be alone with this for potentially years or a year. How did you make that transition? I mean, it was just it. it, it there's a whole lot of ways to answer that. Let me think. I, I think it was um, the fact that before I ever got into music, I wanted to be an author. So I had this this lifelong dream of seeing what it would be like to fight my way through a story and actually like finish one. Because many of us start stories from the time you're a kid. You know, yeah. you start stories and then you realize it's work and then you abandon it. Yeah. Um, and so I think what that's one great thing about having like a few records under my belt before I started working on the novels was that I, I had learned uh, the truth that art is work. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so there's the, like I said, with the golden ratio idea that there's these similarities, one of the similarities is the resistance. Um, I don't know if you, you've, uh, you've probably heard people talk about the Stephen Pressfield book, oh, the war like, of art. It's like top three of my favorite. Yeah. Books it's on fantastic. It's so good. Yes. Great book. And it was, yeah. it's just like such a kick in the pants, you know? Oh, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but the, the, but the resistance rears its head, no matter what discipline you're, you're dealing with. So I had encountered the, the lull that happens when you're making an album. So you get all excited, you go into the studio with your producer and your buddies, and you've got these half finished songs and everybody's excited, you know, at the beginning. And then day three, you feel like it's the worst thing you've ever made. And the question is, do you abandon it or do you keep fighting, you know, mm -hmm. and you, you have to just like dig in and keep doing the thing and trust that we're going to find a way to make this good by the time this, this record is finished. So I had experienced that. So when I sat down to work on the first book and I ran into that, I was like, oh, I know what this is. This is the oh, resistance, you know? Oh, interesting. And so, okay. so you kind of could trans transfer that that lesson over to the book writing process. So, mm. I mean, it was, it wasn't easy. A lot of it was, was me, um, as much as I love touring and, and playing music, I also thought, you know, do I want to be doing this when I'm 60? Right. Uh, whereas book writing is something that I could see myself doing until I'm a hundred years old, you know? And right. so I, I was like determined early on to go, to begin to learn the craft and try to like, see if I could make, make this a part of what I do as well. Yeah. Yeah. I always think of book writing as like the swimming of the arts where, you know, there's some sports you can, you got to really like, you're not gonna be sprinting, you know, in, into the later parts of your life. Right. Um, but you can swim, you know, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like, like the same totally. idea. So that's, that's so, yeah, that that's really interesting that the idea that resistance pops up and, and for the people who haven't read, um, the war of art, I could not, I think give a bigger, um, endorsement of a book for people who are in the creative pursuits. I, I don't think I've ever read a book in my entire life that has so profoundly like it just, it just was like this all of a sudden switch that you, you see the the creative process so differently. It really is a powerful, beautiful book. Mm -hmm. Um, did, and so, and so the idea that resistance rears its head, which is like the thing that fights against any good thing you want to do with your life, rears its head in the songwriting process and in the, um, novel writing process is so interesting did you have to then find a way to get those hits of like release or, or like find a way to get the same reinforcement mechanism that you got from the songwriting process? Or mm -hmm. did you find a way to sit with the resistance, which is really uncomfortable. It's a really hard thing to do to just sit with that for long periods of time. 
How did that, like, how did that work out? Yeah. The answer for me with the books was, uh, reading when I got stuck, I would, um, I would read what I had to my kids. And so, so, which is a huge, uh, help as far as book writing goes. Like I, uh, you get, you kind of get lost in your head, you know, you're writing the stuff you're, you're wondering, is anyone ever going to read this? Mm -hmm. And you kind of lose a little bit of sight of why you're doing it. But then when I would print out, you know, the 10 chapters that I'd written and I would say, Hey family, let's sit down and I want to try this out on you. Um, it's because, uh, that, uh, demographic was kind of what I was shooting for. It was everything from my wife, you know, grownups mm-hmm. down to six year old kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And so reading that to them, when I would come back to the, my computer the next day, I would have this, I would have them in my mind again as the audience. Right. Oh. And so if, remembering who you're writing for is a huge one that's true in songwriting like like the 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 more you can zero in on the specific person that you want to hear that song like in a lot of the story songs like the ones i write they're they're often very specifically for a person or about a situation and i want a person to to hear that song so you keep that person in your mind the constant reader sort of you know Mm -hmm. in your brain um but then it works with books too. Uh, and for example, I have a friend named Jonathan Rogers who is wonderful. He has a podcast called The Habit about writing. And, uh, but he's written a bunch of books. And one of his books is on Flannery O'Connor. And uh, it's a biography of her. And he reached a point in the book where he was kind of stuck and he didn't know what to do. And he had lunch with a friend of ours who's also a musician. And the, my buddy was like, hey, so what are you writing about, Jonathan? And he was like, oh, it's about Flannery O'Connor. And it's kind of for people who have always heard that Flannery is a big deal, but they don't get her. And so I'm trying to like help them see why she's important. And my friend said, that's me. I've never understood. (laughs) So, so for the rest of the book writing process, my friend Jonathan imagined that he was writing the book specifically for that one person. Right. And that, that gave him a runway to write the whole thing. So I think that remembering your audience and testing it out on people um, is one of the ways to do it. The other thing I would say is I, I don't love, writing groups like um i think they can be helpful for people but i'm i'm pretty private about what i'm working on um while i'm working on it but we have um enough novelists and artists here in nashville there's cities full of writers and and so getting together for uh coffee with with a group of them and nobody shares anything they're working on we just hang out right yeah yeah, most of the time you're just talking every now and then you'll be like hey i'm kind of stuck on this idea whatever and people will kind of like listen to you and then you come back and you're fired up because you've either worked out the problem or you've reminded yourself that you're a writer yeah (laughs) yeah it's almost like it's almost like you pull all of that creative energy together and everybody gets a little bit more out of that community yeah. out of that like yeah. communion with each other. Like I find that's, um, I think, you know, writing this, uh, some we're somewhere in the, in the time frame of COVID who knows where, um, you know, but, but being that we've had this, you know, increased social distancing, you know, I think, I think we understand that more and more this idea that, um, you know, community is really important, which is a huge deal in your life. I mean, you've, you've, um, absolutely sought it out and built a community kind of the same way we have, we've, we've built our own, we just launched a writing community about two weeks ago. And, um, I want to dive into this concept of community. And, and I mean, it's, it's a big part of your book, your nonfiction book, which again, is just such a beautiful book. Um, how has being part of a community fueled your creative life? And, and that's both your, your, um, 
book writing life and your songwriting life. And I mean, you executive executive produced a you know film. <laughs> like like you're you're a, you're a busy guy. But how is how is being part of a creative community, um, really you know been the support structure for you? One of the, one of the biggest ways is that the community reminds you that you're not crazy. You know, uh, if if you're on the, the specifically that. the the yeah the writing because you have a lot of opportunity to question your sanity yes. when you're working on this stuff. Yeah, that Especially, hit with me like that that yeah. that rather than yeah I'd, uh... yeah yeah because you know you you like let's face it most of the stuff we we are making isn't going to make anybody rich you know right. you, you're you, so you learn to be thankful for the fact that you can just spend any time at all on the thing you're working on but I know for myself here in Nashville in the music community, especially, um, there are, I don't know anybody who's had a long career who didn't, um, have like serious dips and struggles and, and, uh, wondering if you needed to quit and find a day job, that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, I've had this community of people look me in the eye and say, please don't stop writing songs. Mm -hmm. Like I, mm -hmm forget about the crowds. I need your songs, you know? Mm. And, and I have then turned, had the exact same opportunity to say that to my friends, like, um, come alongside those people. We formed this, this group of, uh, that, that we jokingly called the square peg Alliance. And, um, it was a group of singer songwriters and all of us had either been dropped from a label or, uh, were, had never been signed to a label or had we found ourselves in that weird middle space career wise, where if we, if we sold out, we could probably make a little more money. Or if we, zeroed in on another thing but we found like we we found ourselves kind of in between a lot in a lot of ways and um and we just committed to each other to like any chance we got to talk about each other the, our friends in interviews any chance anytime we had a show we would go hey come with me and play the show with me and it just the sense that you weren't in it alone mm -hmm. was tremendous and here's the cool thing about the community side of of art is that you you realize after 20 years that your the book that you wrote is going to be forgotten probably, but the friendship is going to last forever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the friendship that you, you end up with is far more valuable than any of the stuff that you end up creating along the way. Um, what, what happens with this stuff, whether it lasts for 400 years or, you know, makes a big splash, whatever it may be. That stuff's cool, but but you realize after a while that the art was actually like um, uh, a side effect of the deeper thing, which was the, the friendships. Is there, is there an irony in there? You know, we, we spend so much time as creative people alone um, trying to create something that has lasting impact that people connect with. And you know, in the end, you're right. You know, like the, the, the work itself will join a sea of other work and, you know, hopefully will be appreciated and enjoyed, but, you know, is, um, you know, probably not going to be, a you know, anthologized classic, you know? And, and so we spend all this time alone. And, and what you're saying though, is that like the friendships and the, the thing that you don't do alone is what winds up having a lot of the resonance and meat on the bone. Totally. And then the, yeah, the cool it's interesting. Yeah, there's the and yeah. there's a symbiotic relationship between art and community. I talk about this in my yeah. book that yeah. community nourishes art and art nourishes community. So, um, you know, the you, you end up with this these wonderful friends and this wonderful community of people, but then being a part of that community in turn makes your your work better. 
you know, it just kind of has to, yeah, because you're you're always hanging out with people who are better than you. So for the people out there who maybe don't have a community, like, and you know, they're they're listening to this, they're like, "Wow, that sounds amazing!" But I have I have nobody in my life that shares my passions. Yeah. Um. What kind of like practical, tangible steps could somebody take to start building that community around them or finding a community for that? Matter? Yeah, it's a great question uh, that we have wrestled with for a long time. It's it's easy if you live in a city like Nashville. Uh, or Denver, say, yeah, right. you know, where, where there's a bigger community of people who do this, it might be easier to find. My, my hunch, though, is that what I've what I've found is that if you start working, um, people show up. Like if you start, uh, if you come up with some project that you're going to do that is some artistic or creative project, um, tr- think of things to do that you can't do alone, right? Um, so a book is a great example of that because you can write all the words of the book, but you still need to find somebody to make the cover and, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody to edit it and the people to proofread the thing. And so you look up and you realize that like, um, you may make the thing in isolation, but the, the whole process in, in involve necessarily involves other people. And so, uh, don't wait around for the community, just get busy. And then along the way, um, pay attention to the people that show up, you know, um, there's a great book called Bandersnatch by a woman named Diana Glyer. And, um, she, she, she was a, she's a scholar. She te- she's a professor in California and I forget which university she's at, but she was a student of CS Lewis and Tolkien and, uh, Charles Williams, the, the Oxford Inklings, you know, that, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Commu- community of writers. And she does th- her, um, thesis was a study of like what in the world happened there like how did how did these people find each other yeah and then uh what were the good things that happened in this community what were the bad things and she she talks about how uh she names all these wonderful uh this convergence of stuff that happened in that community of people you know their their works ended up being these world-changing um towering works of literature in many ways and so but one of the things she talks about is resonators how we need resonators um we need people who resonate with our work they may not be other artists but they're people who you know just like you know if you pluck an a a string on a guitar then then there are all these overtones that also resonate and so finding finding that like who resonates when your string is plucked Mm, and mm hold on tight to those people because you're going to need those people. And then you get to in turn resonate with them. So uh, that's a great book to read. If you're looking for ways to, uh, to form a community or to emulate some of the things that the inklings were doing. Um, Bandersnatch is great. And a Bandersnatch in Lewis Carroll's, I think it's in a monster in uh, Alice in Wonderland that is made up of a bunch of other monsters. Oh, I love it. And so that's her analogy for the Inklings. It's like everybody had their own weird little thing, but when yeah. all, all together they became something oh, I love else. It. Oh, yeah. I love it. That's such good, tangible, like practical advice. Um, like I said, we we just started a um, had this big realization that um, the myth that writers and creative people need to just sit alone and not commune with other writers and creatives. We 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 kind of took square aim at that as well. And just launch a community. So, so there's lots of options out there. Um, but, I, but I do, whether or not you join, you know, a pre-made community, you go find a couple of friends, you join, you know, there's lots of great writing organizations, online stuff. I, I think it's so critical um, for, for creative. So in Adorning the Dark, 
what is super clear from the absolute, I mean, maybe first page, I listened to it on, on Audible, so I don't know what page it was on, but very early, first couple of minutes, um, you know, you are a deep man of faith and your creative pursuits have been um, in service of that faith, it sounds like, and and in expressing that faith. And, you know, there's a lot of, lots of the listeners will, you know, very much say, yeah, I am, I have the same belief system as Andrew. There's lots of listeners who will say I have a very different belief system than Andrew. And so my first question is how important for your creative life has been expressing your faith through your creativity? And then the follow-up question to that is for the people who maybe don't share your belief system, um, but still feel a pull to express something more than themselves, which I think a lot of yeah. creative people have and yeah. can't quite, you know, you, you, you have it defined, but a lot of people don't have that defined, but they can sense I, I'm in that boat, right? I can sense my creative expression is important for some reason. I don't know what it is, right. you know, sure. <laughs> um, how would you instruct those people then to, um, key in on that and hone in on that so that mm. they can use that that feeling of being part of something more as fuel. That's a huge question. That is a huge question. <laughs> uh, so, so part one of the question. Yeah. How important was it to you? Yeah. It's, it's very important because I, like, I feel like when I was in high school, um, I, I was kind of foundering. I was mm -hmm. always, I was super, I loved comic books. I love film. I was always reading some pulp fantasy novel, you know, and, uh, and was just stories just fired me up. Um, and I, I was, uh, but I didn't know what to do with that. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I, I always had this sense that they, they were, they were pointing at something, but I couldn't figure out what, what those things were. Um, and so at the time <laughs> I, I was mainly interested in, like I said, I wanted to be a, a, a penciler for Batman comics. That was my dream in high school. And I went and went and interviewed it in art school and all that kind of stuff, because I love to draw. I loved comics. I love movies, all this stuff. And then somewhere along the way, I also fell in love with rock and roll and started playing guitar and piano. And, and, uh, and like, when I look back at that season of my life, I see a kid who was, was my main goal was self-glorification, right? I just wanted to be cool. Mm -hmm. I wanted, I wanted to impress girls <laughs> and I wanted to, to be in a rock and roll band, you know? Yeah. And, it, and then I got it the year after high school, I ended up joining a band and we toured and we were a terrible band, but we had lots <laughs> of shows and I was so sad. I just had, it was weird to, it was, you know, I love the counting crows. I don't know if you know the band counting uh, crows, like one of my favorite. Yeah. They're so good. But I, so one good. of the, one of the things I love yeah. about Adam Duritz is he, he's very honest about the fact that he got everything he always wanted and he's still sad yeah you know a lot of his songs are about that it's like i have everything i'm yeah. i'm i get to do the thing i love and i'm still desolate on the yeah. inside and so i i resonate a little bit with that and so from a faith standpoint um i just um as a storyteller i cannot think of a better story than the gospel like mm -hmm. like the the story of jesus like and and you know for the listeners out there who who are not Christians. That's, it's fine. I just, I, there's something in that story that just made sense to me. And it, it, it was the golden ratio again. It was like everything I loved in Harry Potter and everything I loved in Raiders of the Lost Ark or 
Goonies or whatever. All, there was this like overlay and all of a sudden there was this shimmering thing at the center of it. And it was this story that made sense of the, the whole world in, in an amazing way. And then all of a sudden I felt like I had something to sing about. I had something to aim for. Um, so I don't want to get in the weeds on this, but like the, I, I've, uh, you know, a lot of the older writers like Tolkien, um, he, you know, he was a student of languages and, and a student of the classics. Like a lot of those guys who ended up at Cambridge or Oxford were, um, uh, were these, uh, people who had classical education, right? Mm -hmm. They studied rhetoric and they studied all this stuff. And so, you know, um, the Lord of the Rings draws a lot on Norse mythology mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, this deep well of knowledge that Tolkien had. Um, but I didn't have a classical education. I, I grew up, you know, in this little Southern town in Florida and, um, and wasn't a good student. And, you know, I was just kind of a knucklehead, but I did grow up in the church. And so I ended up without even believing it for the first part of my life, uh, like being exposed to this like utterly unique body of literature and poetry and, and true mythology that, uh, called the Bible that, um, undergirds pretty much everything I do. I like, I have a friend who went to Vanderbilt university and, uh, his English professor made who was not a Christian, um, made them all study the Bible for the first semester because he said, you can't understand Western literature unless you know the Bible. Oh, right. Totally. <laughs> Which totally, is fast. Yeah. So, so, yeah. and I'm not even talking about whether or not you believe it, like just as yeah. a foundational text, right. right. Um, it's, it's so much of our literature is, is, um, draws from thing, truths or archetypes, whatever there may be in there. So all that to say, like once, once I moved from, um, loving, all these things in fantasy to then actually believing these things that I was taught all of a sudden there was this like path in the woods. And I was like, Oh man, you know, this is like where the heart beating at the center of so many stories that I love. So, uh, so yes, I can't overstate how important that has been to me as a songwriter or a, or a novel writer. Yeah. And so for the people, um, you know, for the people out there who, who have a feeling of, a lot of times on the podcast, it comes up in this idea of like this, like mythical, magical process of creation. Yeah, and and how um, you, you you seem to I I seem to I um, you know I'm not I'm not a religious person, but but I seem to touch something I don't understand when I write. Yeah, yeah, you know, and um, I don't I certainly don't have the language to <laughs> to define <laughs> it. Couldn't even begin to. Um, but it's it's been really important to me to try to pursue that in my mm -hmm. in my writing, but I don't know how how I do it, and so I'm wondering right. if you know how you do it, and, and may and and maybe maybe that there is a um, you know very broad and established you know religious philosophy around um, you know Christianity and, and the Bible. It, it, it's maybe. Um, more clear. I, I don't know. Like, like how, how is it if you don't have the stories of the Bible to guide you, can you still touch right. that energy and use it to create? Sure. That's a great question. I like, I geek out listen when I'm listening to NPR and I hear some interview with an author and, and, um, and Terry gross or whoever asks, she's so good. God, she's she's so a great good. interview. Yeah. She's so good. <laughs> and she's like, tell me where the idea for this book comes from. And almost every author kind of fumbles they're kind of like well you know i don't know right. i was 
it came to me. Like there's this mystery at work. I think everybody can admit that, that there's, there's a mystery at work. And um, there are moments in your work where the writing is better than you are capable of doing. Oh, you know totally. that feeling oh, of looking gosh. back and being totally. like, who wrote that? Who, where, where, like all the time I'm <laughs> yeah. like, where in the world did that come from? Like, I'm a yes. garbage writer, but that's pretty good. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> what a, what a gift that is, you know? Yeah. But I, yeah. I think, I think most of us who write or do any kind of art, we, we experience it as a gift, right? We feel like we are receiving mm -hmm. something from somewhere. <laughs> and, right. and, and I think that's marvelous, you know, and that's true whether you're a Christian or not, you know, I, I but as a Christian, I happen to believe that that is evidence that there is there is some mystical, wonderful mm -hmm. beauty, beauty mm -hmm. kind of pulsing at, at the heart of the world. And and so, you know, in in Christian terminology, it's called common grace. It's like every single human um, we believe is has the dignity and bears God's image. And that therefore, no matter who you are, you're you can channel that right, and right. that you can you can. Uh, there's this, uh, sense that we, you know, God doesn't need people. He doesn't need Christians in order for his truth to be told. So, which is why as a, as a believer, I can read everything from Stephen King to, uh, I don't even know. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but, but like yeah. you, you, you experience like these moments of light and grace kind of all through all out, um, literature and art and whatever. So I think that the difference so I think a recognize that it's a gift. Like I talk about this in adorning the dark, that if yeah, you, if you yeah. swagger into the creative process, like I'm a gift to the world, watch this, everybody, <laughs> then it's just going to suck. You know, yeah. it's going to be bad. But if you, if you approach it with humility and a little bit of fear and trembling, like, I don't know how this works, but I'm going to try my best to like midwife something into the world that could, yeah. could, um, could be a, a light, you know, right. And so, um, so the, I think the only difference is as a Christian, um, I happen to believe that, that I'm, I, I am the beloved of that source of goodness and beauty. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't make me special. It just means that I get to have conversations with him, you know, yeah. <laughs> and ask for help. I don't know if you remember the Bach principle. Yeah, um, I the, did. That, the, that really the, stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Bach would sit down and, and at the end, it's kind of famous that at the end of his, his um, manuscripts, you can see that he wrote SDG at the bottom of his pieces, which means all glory to God in, in Latin. Um, but at the beginning, he would, he would write JJ, which meant Jesus help me. So as a Christian, Bach would sit down and go, I can't do this alone. I need help. Right. It's kind of like in, in AA, you know, like the 12 step program, yeah. they go, yeah. we just have, to, we believe that there's a higher power. I am incapable of doing this on my own. I need outside help. And I think that's a good principle. You know, if you're a writer, even if you don't believe that, uh, I, I would just say that like, try it, try asking for help from somewhere. Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> and it's, be surprised, you know? Yeah. And, and as somebody again, <laughs> like, like I, um, I have really, you know, deep respect for all religious beliefs. I, I mean, I, I don't, um, I, again, like I, I'm not like a, uh, I don't practice any one specific religion, but, sure. but having, having come into the creative process and so many times looking at a piece of paper and just like, I can't do this. Like I, I literally can't do this. I have no idea where to go. I can't sense you as a character. I, I don't understand the story. And, and yet I'm, being compelled and compelled to do it. I don't understand what's happening. It, that moment, I think of 
um, it's it's crazy that that moment of release, and it's never right away, but at some point within a week, a month, you know, sometimes it's not even right away. All of a sudden, from somewhere, I'll be walking down the street, and like a bird will chirp at me, and I'll be like, "Oh, that's the answer." Oh, I love that. Yes. And so, and so, I I recognize the mystery in it, and I certainly I I'm someone again like you know my my personal belief is that you know we don't you know we we are the um you know we're kind of like the lightning rod of the story we, we're, oh. we're not we're not the electricity but but we try and do the best we can yeah. to conduct it you know totally um we don't create the story really mm-hmm. we, we just kind of bring them into the world you know um and so I, I i believe in a really um you know i i believe in a mystical creation process for sure mm-hmm. but but certainly you know those moments of just being like i can't do this and being like i quit i'm done for whatever reason that always opens up you know i uh the the answer it, it's almost like you have to give up it has to be less of you and mm-hmm. the story needs more of something else and it's 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 a weird it, it's it's such a mystery <laughs> it is and that's what it comes down to is like no matter what you believe you're you're at the mercy of something you know what I mean? yeah right you're, right and it's gonna be hard i also love like when i meet people who who come up to me after a show and they've got a CD or they've made a demo or something. Um, if they're, if they're like, Oh man, I'm, I'm a great, I'm so good. And this is something that I really think you're going to like, I'm always skeptical, but if somebody seems a little timid and a little unsure and they're like, I'm, I'm doing my best to to find my way through this thing, then I'm excited to listen because I, I sense that that person is humble enough to know that they don't know it all and that they're on a journey. You know what I mean? So the writing life is like, there, there is no real arriving. You're just like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm playing the long game here. Like I may never write a great book, but I, I hope that by the end of my life, I will be a better writer than I was when I started. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, one, one last question, um, for you before, before we get to our final five, cause I just looked down at the time and I was like, Oh no, I'm running out of time. <laughs> um, how, how do you balance it all? So, so you are, you are from the outside, one of like a, just a prolific creator and you also have family and children. Um, I, I guess you have hobbies and some other joyful pursuits outside of creation. How, how is it that you, you make your life, um, make sense without melting down and burning out? Or maybe that's part of the process, you know? Um, well, there, there have been seasons of just white hot panic, you know, just like, I have joked for years that like one, <laughs> one of the surest ways out of writer's block is a mortgage payment. <laughs> right. So like, I love that. If you're self-employed, then you're like, I got to get busy. I got to right. get to work, you know, or my kids won't have diapers or whatever. Um, and the other thing is once you reach a point, like one of the principles is you do, you do the work yourself until you're just, you just can't anymore. And then you hire someone. Yeah. Um, and so I'm very, very, thankful that I have, I work with some, an amazing team of people who, who like, if I called my music manager who also helps with book stuff and said, I really need two weeks of time to finish this book, then she will fight to find a way. Right. Um, so working with really good people. Um, but you know, there are, there are ebbs and flows. There's times when you're just like exhausted and times when you, you've got a, a wide open schedule ahead of you. And you know, like for my kids, um, when I'm gone on tour, sometimes I'll be gone for days and days and days on end. Um, but then when I'm home, I'm home for days and days and days on it. You know what I mean? So I think 
that if you did the math, you'd probably see that I actually, even with all the travel and the craziness, have spent more time, more time at home, quality time with the kids than up, away from them. Yeah, um, awesome. and so it's a it's a trade off. You know, you don't have a steady steady paycheck. The other side of that is that I'm we started having kids young, and just about two weeks ago we dropped off our youngest for college, and we are empty oh, nesters. Man. You are home free. I'm home free, <laughs> so I'm I'm hoping that means my output just like I know. Just j- just wait what the next ten years is going to be. Who knows what yes. comes out of what comes out of you? <laughs> That's so great. I uh, I start having kids young too, and I um I often think I'm like, man, when I'm this age. I will be just free as a bird, you know? So, Dude, it's true. It's true. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. 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 I, I love having, I have young kids. So I I'm, love having young kids, but uh, I, I will be, yeah, be interesting season. Anyways. Okay. So um, I, I got to wrap us up as much as I, I feel like I could just go in so many, keep going in so many different directions um, with this. And and you're such a fascinating kind of blend of, um, of person to interview. It's really fun to, to talk to you. Um, but I have to, I have to kind of pull this thing together, uh, and ask you the final five questions. So these yeah. questions I ask every single guest and I do this, um, really it's to highlight the diversity of answers mm-hmm. and, um, you know, for whatever reason, if this is your first episode, you're listening to this, what, what I like to show is that there's not one way to do this thing. And what's more important is that you find your way of creating more than you try and emulate some other person who you think you should be like. And every, I think every answer so far to these, I very rarely have a similar answer. So that like mm. every person answers these questions differently. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And I love to hear the answers. So uh, let's dive into the final five. Bah, 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 bah. Question number one, what is the one word that best describes you? Beloved. Mm. That's That's beautiful. Okay. Question number two, if you had to pick a spirit book, so this is a book that like, if you died and you were reincarnated as a book, it's like the one that most closely emulates you, which book wow. would it be? Uh, two books popped into my head. The first one is like the book that I wish was true, which would be the Lord of the Rings, which I still think is just the towering work. It's a of perfect, the last it's a years. perfect work of fiction. Yeah, it really is it's uh, perfect. Yeah. And then the second one was where the sidewalk ends by Shel Silverstein. Oh, beautiful. Uh, <laughs> that's such a great contrast of books. Two ends uh, of the pole. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Question number three, is there a specific tool can be anything at all? Pencil, software, chair, coffee, tea, anything that you absolutely must have to write. Uh, an app called self-control. Do you know about oh, this? Yes. I love that app. Yep. And that it's like, that's part of my yes. ritual. I turn on self-control and I am immediately shut down from social media and yeah. the weather and the news and all the websites that I are distractions I add to the list. And for those of you guys listening, like if once you turn on the app, you set it for, you know, 30 minutes or eight hours, like even if you restart your computer, you still can't yeah. access those, those apps. So you, the problem is you still have your phone, but it's a little more cumbersome on a phone. So yeah, uh, but it, that's what I do when I sit. I turn on the oh, film sound scores and I turn on self control, and then my brain says, "Okay, now it's time to write." Time to go. Yeah, that that app. I think self control is the one too that you have to write. Like it's like a paragraph to turn it off. Isn't that it? Isn't that oh, the one? Oh, I don't know. I don't so, think so. So, if you, so there, there's one of those apps that to turn it off, you have to write a paragraph, and if you so much as like do an extra space, you have to restart at the very beginning. Oh, goodness. and I've never once 
actually been able to get through the entire paragraph without making a mistake. And so you just give up. You're just like, forget it. I'll go back. So there's self-control and there's also freedom. So freedom um, is an app that I use and it is synced to your phone. So you mm. can nuke the internet on your computer and on your phone at the same time. Ooh, and so it's just like out. lights out. I think it's like three bucks to buy the okay. app. Um, because I'm the same, I, I'm the same way. Like if there's access to the internet, it's just too good. It's too yep. hard to say. It's too hard. I don't, I don't ask myself to do that. It takes too much energy even, you know, yeah. like it takes creative energy away to be like, I'm not going to look at Facebook. Yeah. You feel, you yeah. can almost feel the trash being emptied in your, your desktop whenever you turn it on. It's like all yeah. of a sudden everything runs better. I, I heard a quote one time from a uh, somebody said that having, being a writer with internet access is like being a carpenter with a television on the back of your hammer. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true it's so true yeah. like the the next shakespeare won't write because of instagram you know right. they're too busy yeah. On instagram. yeah so yeah. turn off social media okay question number four we touched on this a little bit but um we'd love we'd love to hear this answer how do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life um i think community is a big answer um being around people who remind you of the long game I yeah. think that's the thing is like, if you're, if you're after, um, these like fame is poison, mm -hmm. wealth is poison, uh, but community is, is life. And so, um, it's nourishing. And so if you, I would, it's a constant, uh, process of reminding yourself why you're doing it. Yeah. Like you go, okay, am I doing this because I want to leave, make a name for myself? Um, one of my favorite, songwriters is a guy named rich mullins who died a few years ago and he said if your if your legacy is to, if your ambition is to leave a legacy what you'll leave is a legacy of ambition mm. if your ambition is to leave a legacy the what you leave is a legacy of ambition and i think that's been a centering thing for me it's like my goal here is not to make a name for myself my goal here is really to be a very small part of surprising someone with the beauty of the world or mm helping them understand that they are valuable or that they're beloved. Um, oh so if, if that otherness is your, is your goal, then you're, you, you might just make it through to being a great writer when you're 80, you know what I mean? <laughs> but if you, if you're chasing, if you're chasing fame and money, then you may be famous and you may be rich and you may even write some good books, but um, I bet you'll be pretty miserable. Uh, I, there's so much, I, you know, <laughs> how many different thoughts just started at once and then terminated in the past five seconds? Many, I feel like there's like an entire quote book of amazing things you've said in this interview. <laughs> like, like the, the, um, you know, when you said, you know, wealth, wealth and ambition, you know, are, are toxic, but community is life. Like that just really res. Like I felt that inside, like, man, there's so much good stuff mm. in this. Okay. Last question. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers, what would that be? Finish. Mm. Yeah. That's the thing. Finishing is everything. Like if yeah. you don't, if you don't uh, make it past the finish line of a, the crappy first draft, you know, that Anne Lamott principle, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she like, you will, you will not know the joy of sharing your work with anybody else. And I think that that's, that's kind of where the rubber meets the road. It's like, um, we've all got unfinished manuscripts, but just find a way at all costs to push the stupid thing across the finish line. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that you're not really a writer until you know what that's like. 
You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, because then you don't like if you've never had to uh, tie up all the loose ends at the end of a story or uh, or be able to like from a bird's eye view, look at the beginning, middle and end mm-hmm. of your story and kind of like look at it, behold it as a finished work, yeah. no matter how good or bad it is, then then you're you're missing one of the key parts of what it means to be a writer. So yeah. finishing is is the whole it. deal. How can people find you, Andrew? Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and my Facebook. Uh, it's all pretty obvious. Um, there is one other Andrew Peterson who writes like espionage thrillers. It's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. I get people like the families, <laughs> families have emailed me and said, Hey, we liked your first two books, but the second we're just full of so much violence. And <laughs> I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to make it. So anyway, uh, but if you go to Andrew dash Peterson.com, that's probably, or wingfeathersaga.com. Yeah. That'll get you Okay. There. Yep. Yeah. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. This has been such a fun interview. I was really looking forward to this and I feel like all of my expectations of talking to you have been um, that I feel like I could just keep talking and talking and talking to you. So um, go check out for people out there, go check out um, the Wing Feather Saga. I know it is on bookshelves now. The hardcovers, I'm pretty sure, are literally on the shelves. You can go, you can, I mean, if there's bookstores open where you live. <laughs> um, and also, you know, if you... Um, you know, if you want a book on creativity and faith and the mystery of creativity, I really couldn't recommend Adorning the Dark enough. I really enjoyed it. And I think especially on Audible, like I think it'd be great to read it, but hearing your voice and knowing it was your words, it just, I love it when authors read their 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 yeah. work. And thank so um, I really appreciated that. So Andrew, thank you so much. Thank I you. so appreciate your time. And uh, this has been a fun interview. Good to talk to you, Brian. Thank you, man. I want to say thank you again to Andrew for his time. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. Also, check out How Writers Write on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.